Hi, this is Eric. I just wanted to take a few minutes before this podcast starts to encourage you to listen carefully to what our guest pastor, Bruce Varner, is going to be saying in this podcast as he brings us seven characteristics of biblical Christianity. It's a lot of scripture. And I, you know, since it's a podcast, you can stop it, you can pause it, you can write down these references. It's a wealth of information. It's a great Bible study. So take the time to really listen to what he has to say. And if you're at all able to, if not now, at some point, listen to it again when you can write some notes. I think you'll you'll find it's a blessing. It's going to really help to clarify all of these points. And uh, these are things that will encourage you as a Christian. And it'll just uh, edify as well. All right, so here we go. This is thatsinthebible.com. That's in the Bible, episode 111 Seven Characteristics of Biblical Christianity. Troublesome times are here, filling men's hearts with fear. Freedoms we all hold dear, now is at stake. Chastening rod, seek the way pilgrims trod, Christians away. Jesus is coming. Hello, welcome back to That's in the Bible. My name's Eric. Glad you could join us for another episode of That's in the Bible, the only Bible podcast in the world that features Pastor Scott Strobel, Pastor Stephen Barron, Pastor Bruce Varner, all in one episode, folks. Uh, you may remember Pastor Varner. He was on um, well, a few weeks ago with us, and he did uh, 10 Reasons Why I'm Not an Atheist, and I believe he still is not an atheist. Pastor Varner, how are yeah. you today? Good, good. Yep, that's right. I'm still still a saved sinner and not an atheist. Amen. And uh, how are things in the, the beautiful southern states? Well, things are fine here in North Carolina. We're enjoying some nice weather, and, and uh, I heard that it was a little bit colder up there where we're used to being from, up in New York State. But uh, we pit, we have, uh, we're sorry for you guys, but yeah. it sure is nice down here. <laughs> it's always a little bit colder, <laughs> colder yeah. here, isn't it? That's uh, what I've heard. And speaking of cold, over by Buffalo, New York, uh, we have uh, Pastor Stephen Bear. Stephen Bear, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Hey, I want to tell you, it's not that cold today. I went out to the driving range and hit a few golf balls just to see if I could remember how to do it uh, coming uh-huh. off of the winter, but uh, got back into the into the office and did some work and read some Bible and wrote some notes down and stuff like that. So I'm doing good. Glad I'm saved. Glad Amen. to be able to be on the podcast. Amen. And also in the colder climes of New York State, <laughs> uh, we have Pastor Scott Strobel, sir. How are you? Doing well, and you know, uh, low 60s and sunny is not cold right now. No, <laughs> right. it's not. <laughs> Later on in the year, it might feel cold, but right now it feels great. Yeah, 60s so. was great. Sun was out, went for a walk today. Actually felt, yeah. uh, you know, like summer was on the way. Amen. Yep, my wife and I got out for a walk. We're dog-sitting for one last day while our son's out of town, and so we took the dog out for a walk. Did about a mile and a half, and 
it, it just feels good to be outside and being able to do something other than try to stay warm. Amen. Now, uh, I, I've seen people take their dog for a walk, but sometimes that's a misnomer. It looks like the, the dog is actually taking them for a walk. Uh, what, yeah. kind, what kind of dog? He has an Australian Shepherd. It's a um, very good-tempered dog, uh, very o- obedient, and uh, you know, good, mild-mannered. So, and he's, he's he has energy too. But uh, we were walking him. I'll say that we had a smaller dog. We used to have a smaller dog before it passed away, um, and that dog would take us for a walk. <laughs> Amen. And typically, we have Matthew Sutton joining us. He's a missionary up in the Arctic. Uh, Point Hope, Alaska, who is not able to be with us today. Uh, but we are thankful and, and praise the Lord that you guys were able to join and, and make this podcast available. Pastor Verna, we're looking forward to uh, to hearing your your uh, seven characteristics of biblical Christianity. Well, I'm looking forward to preaching it, so uh, we'll see how things go. I've got a bunch of papers. I'm not used to you know the this format, but uh, I'm getting... I'm getting to where it, it seems like it'd be real enjoyable once you know what you're doing here. Amen. Amen. Well, it is, I think, and I know that the uh, the response to your last uh, message was was excellent. So, looking forward to that. So, if you're ready, we're going to go ahead and uh, get started. If you're ready to go, okay, let's yeah. kick it off. All right, here we go. Alrighty, I'm going to talk to you for just a little bit this afternoon about seven characteristics of biblical Christianity. And the thing that sparked my my mind and my heart going this direction was just this past uh, holiday season. I got a couple emails from from fundamental sources or from sources that profess to be fundamental, and they were uh, advertising things like how to preach the uh, you know a stirring Good Friday message and um there was a, another one prior to that about an ash wednesday message and i got to thinking you know christianity is really uh, it's been it's been really unrecognizable it's become to a place to where it's it's difficult to even put a definition on what is christianity uh, many beliefs and practices not found in the bible have been added to christianity over the centuries and it's really disfigured and made it completely unbiblical. For example, prayers for the dead were added in the 300s, the sign and the image of the cross about the same time, veneration of angels and saints, the use of images about 375, the worship of Mary as the mother of God in 431. Uh, And these things have just piled on uh, to Christianity to where it's very difficult to even uh, put a definition on uh, Christianity. What is Christianity? And for this reason, I'd like to preach on seven characteristics of biblical Christianity. And when I say biblical Christianity, there's some synonyms that you could put in that place. You can put uh, the synonym uh, real in that place, seven characteristics of real Christianity or authentic Christianity or genuine Christianity. But basically, it all boils down to uh, seven characteristics of Christian uh, conduct that's found solely in the Bible. So with that in mind, let's bow our heads in prayer, and then we'll turn our Bibles to Acts chapter 26, verse 28, and we'll begin uh, our lesson here. Our Father, we thank you, Lord, for Jesus, our Savior. 
We thank you for the precious blood that was shed on Calvary, Lord, and for the love that he showed to mankind by taking our sins upon him. And Heavenly Father, we thank you for your spirit and your son and yourself. And, and Lord, we just thank you for your great love that you have toward us. Now, Father, we ask you to please help us, dear Father, as your children, to love you, to be obedient to your word. Help us to try to learn something, Father, through this broadcast and through the word of God that will help us to be better Christians. And Father, fill us with thy spirit. Help us guide and direct our hearts and minds. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm going to begin in Acts chapter 26, verse 28. And uh, this is Paul's appeal to Agrippa. And the last thing that Agrippa said to Paul the apostle was in verse 28. He said, Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. My pastor years ago preached a message, Almost Persuaded, and he preached it from this text, and it was a real good message. And uh, the th three points that I want to draw out of this verse here is, uh, uh, first of all, that Paul, Paul is an example of a Christian here. Um, the word Christian shows up two times in the book of Acts, and both of them have Paul the Apostle in the context. The first one is Acts 11.26, which we're going to look at a little bit later on in the message. And then it's this one, Acts 26, 28. This is the end of the book of Acts. It's the last thing that Agrippa says to Paul. And he says, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. So Paul is an example of a Christian here. And then notice also that Paul persuaded people to be Christians. And somebody might say, well, it doesn't say that. But, you know, Agrippa was persuaded by Paul. Uh, and Agrippa put his finger on what he felt conviction of, and he said, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. So Paul persuaded people to be, a, to be Christians. And then the third thing I want you to understand or see from the Scripture, if you would, is that Agrippa here is unsaved. I'd uh, say safely that the, the fellow hadn't been converted yet. But uh, unsaved people knew what a Christian was. Back here in the day, uh, when Paul was alive, Paul was the living example of what a Christian is. And Christianity was recognizable, very recognizable here. And when Christianity uh, is uh, clear and, and crisp in the mind of mankind, then it has a persuasive power. And I want, I want you to know that 2,000 years have passed since this passage in Acts chapter 26, 28. And I want to say that today there's confusion around what Christianity is. Is Christianity a political system? Well, in Nazi Germany it was. There was a center party that was a Christian party. And, and uh, is Christianity a political party? Is it a political system? Is it a political party? Uh, in uh, in uh, oh, Cuba, it's, there's a political party, a Christian democratic party that uh, revolts. There's this word Christianity has been associated with Christian Christian terrorism. I was looking up some things uh, on the internet about uh, a, a, a bombing that took place in Ohio, and the phrase Christian terrorist was there. So this word Christian uh, has come to be unrecognizable, and people don't know what it is anymore. So I'd like to say to you and me that uh, at some point in our lives, at some point in uh, our hearts as believers, we ought to, uh, we ought to examine this question, uh, this uh, que uh, question, what is Christianity? 
you say, but preacher, why should I care? I mean, what what's the big deal? I mean, uh, if if uh, we believe in Jesus and we all, uh, you know, try to be good, what 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 does it matter if if we really know what Christianity is? Well, you should ca- you should care because you might consider yourself a Christian, and you might be completely mistaken, you might be right off the mark, and uh, you might be lost. You just Never know. I mean, there's there's uh, many many people all around this uh, world, around the country, that profess to be Christian uh, Christians and profess Christianity. But the fact of the matter is, uh, they they are anything but what the Bible describes as Christian. Biblical Christianity is simply Christianity that finds its beliefs and practices in the Bible, particularly in the New Testament. And it limits itself to those beliefs and practices. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about biblical Christianity, seven characteristics of biblical Christianity. Uh, we're talking about Christianity that finds its its uh, authenticity or its practices or its beliefs in the Scriptures themselves, in the New, New Testament. Since the New Testament is the oldest historical document that records what Christians did and what they believed, it's to this source that we will look for the answer to our question uh, what is Christianity and what is a Christian? Uh, we'll find seven characteristics of biblical Christianity, and they'll be in the Bible itself. And uh, that's what we're going to do. We're going to start out by uh, uh, stating our our faith and our belief that the King James Bible is the preserved and infallible words of God. When we talk about uh, biblical Christianity, finding its uh, its source in the Bible— we're not talking about a book that we don't uh, identify, and uh, you, listener, are going to have to choose a Bible one time, uh, at one point in your life. You're going to have to choose one or the other, and uh, we're going we're gonna to stick with the King James Bible, and uh, we've got uh, good, solid ground to stand upon believing the King James Bible. And our goal in, in handling the King James Bible will be threefold. The first goal will be not to add to or subtract from the Bible, from the Word of God. The reason why we do that is because of Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse number 2. The Bible says, Ye shall not add unto the Word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. And then Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 32, What things soever I command you, observe to do it, Thou shalt not add thereto, nor diminish from it. So the instructions that Moses gave to the children of Israel, the Holy Spirit gave to the children of Israel through Moses, was when he gives us something in writing, or gives us something in his words, that then we don't add to them. We don't subtract from them. Uh, Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5 says, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. So, we're not going to add to the Word of God. We're not going to take from the Word of God. Uh, the second goal will be that not to change the Word of God. Second uh, Corinthians chapter two verse seventeen says this: "For we are not as many which corrupt the Word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God in the sight of God speak we in Christ." So there's a corruption of the Word of God that can take place, and I think that sometimes people say, well, we're not taking anything from the Word. We're not adding anything to the Word. That's one of the excuses for the new versions. We're just changing and updating the the meaning or changing and updating the words. Well, we're not even going to change the Word of God. Uh, we believe that there's a possibility of corruption slipping in. 
So we're not going to change the Word of God by the grace of God and with the Lord's help now. So we're not going to add to the Word, not going to subtract from it. We're not going to change it. And then we're not going to take it out of its context. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 2 says this, but have, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. Talking about Christian conduct. Paul's talking about his conduct of him and his, his uh, uh, fellow uh, preachers but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Uh, So we're not going to take the words out of their context. You know, uh, if you take words out of their context, uh, people can make the exact opposite uh, be said of of something. Uh, For example, if I say to you, you know, I don't like Italian bread with fettuccine alfredo. And then I say, I like Italian bread with uh, red sauce and clams. Uh, You could take those two statements, I don't like Italian bread, and I do like Italian bread. If you set them next to each other, you'd have me contradicting myself. Well, listen, anybody can, can make the Bible say anything if you take something out of context. So, in looking at these characteristics of biblical Christianity, our, uh, our aspiration and our goal will be not to remove the words from their context. We're going to try to not add to the Word of God, take from it, or to remove the words from their context. And uh, we're going to do the best we can to, to behave like that and do, do the right thing. Amen. All right, so let's get started here. Take your Bible, if you would, and turn to Acts chapter 24, verse 14. And let's look at this first characteristic. Remember that Paul the Apostle was the example of Christianity back there that we just looked at in Acts chapter 26 when he was before Agrippa. So we're going to look at Paul's life a little bit and get some examples from him. The first one's here in Acts chapter 24, verse 14. Paul says this, But this I confess unto thee, and he's speaking to Felix at this time, But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things that are written in the law and the prophets. You know, the Bible says every word of God is pure. Every word of God is pure. So these words that we're reading are pure words, and they have have truths embedded in them. And the first thing I'd like you to see is that, that Paul, the apostle here, he exalts the word of God above the word of his peers. These religious leaders in Acts chapter 24 that were finding fault with Paul, they were accusing him of, of things that he wasn't guilty of, uh, and he confesses to, to, uh, he confesses to Felix, and he says that after the way which they call a heresy, my, my peers out there call me a heretic, so worship I the God of my fathers, and then he defines it, believing all things which are written in the law and the prophets. So this is Paul the Apostle in Acts 24, and he's confessing the way that he worships God, and the first thing that he says is he exalts the word of God above the word of man. Uh, Or the first thing he says is that he believes all things that are written in the book, no matter what his... uh, uh, his uh, his peers say. So the point is here, this, the first characteristic of biblical Christianity is it exalts the word of God above the word of men. It exalts the word of God above the word of men. Listen, he says, this, I confess unto thee, believing all things which are written. 
in the law and the prophets. Not all things which were spoken by the fathers, not all things which were spoken by the Pharisees, not all things which were spoken by the Sadducees, not all things that were spoken by the Herodians or the lawyers or any other man. He said, believing all things that are written in the law and the prophets. This is what he he did. Now, you know, there's there's a lack of, of uh, conviction in uh, professing Christianity in, uh, in confidence in the Word of God. And I think you and I need to do this. If we're going to be a Christian, we need to follow Paul and this example and exalt the word of God above the word of man. And uh, one of the first things that started taking place in church history uh, about uh, 100 and 200 AD, uh, they uh, uh, Christians or professing Christians started to elevate the writings of men. And they began to call these fellows fathers and they called their writings patristic writings. And then now all of a sudden we've got the writings of Ignatius and the writings of um, Polycarp and the writings of uh, these other uh, church fathers that are called. And whatever these writings said, they, they elevated these writings, uh, professing Christians did, and uh, they did exactly what they shouldn't have done if they were behaving like Bible-believing uh, Christians. Uh, or if they were demonstrating biblical Christianity, they would have been elevating the word of God, what God said, above the word of men. So in the Bible, Christians exalted the word of God above the word of men. Romans chapter 3, 4, Paul says, God forbid, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written. Listen, there are no infallible Christian leaders in uh, Paul's theology or in, in biblical Christianity. There are no infallible Christian leaders. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. Every man a liar. Uh, there are no inspired words outside of the words of the book, the Bible. Uh, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. That doesn't mean that uh, you go out and call every man a liar, but you just you elevate the word of God above the word of men. That's a characteristic of biblical Christianity, and I think it's certainly uh, there. There's certainly uh, uh, it's certainly lacking in our day, day and age. Not only that, but in the Bible, Christians accepted the Word of God as the standard of measure. Turn in your Bible to Acts chapter seventeen, verse eleven. These are all subpoints that demonstrate that biblical Christianity exalts the Word of God. It exalts the Word of God above the Word of men. And Acts chapter 17, verse 11, the scripture says, These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Now, these were listeners, these were Jewish listeners, and they were commended because of their behavior, and the behavior was unusual. They weren't commended because they believed everything that Paul said. That's what you'd think if if uh, mankind exalted the words of man, or if uh, these fellows were exalting the words of man, uh, you would think that uh, Paul, uh, that the scripture would say here, well, uh, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received everything that Paul said without question. <laughs> but no, that's not what they were commended for. They were commended for not receiving everything that Paul said, but they were commended for believing what the Scripture said. See? Now listen, uh, these were more noble those than Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind, 
and search the scriptures daily whether those things were so. These people were they were commended for exalting the word of God, receiving the word of God, and then checking to see if what Paul was saying was so. They were commended for not believing <laughs> uh, what Paul said. They were commended for exalting the word of God above even Paul, the apostle. And listen, this is a characteristic of biblical Christianity. They exalt the word of God above the word of men. Romans chapter 4, verse 3, when Paul was discussing the issue of justification by faith, he didn't say, well, what do the commentaries say, or what do the canons say, or what do the creeds say? He said, for what saith the scripture, in Romans 4, 3, for what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 30, when he was battling with the Galatians about justification by faith without the deeds of the law, he says, nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? What saith the Scripture? Well, forget about the creeds. Somebody says, well, I believe the Apostles' Creed, and a Christian is somebody who submits to the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed and this creed and that creed. No, sir. No, sir. A Christian is somebody who exalts the Bible above the word of men. And Galatians 4.30, Nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. The point of the verse that I'm trying to draw your attention to is, Nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? Dear friend, listen, uh, biblical Christianity exalts the word of God above uh, the word of men by making it the standard of measure of what we believe. Amen? And uh, you and I ought to realize that now. Listen, in the Bible, Christians accepted the word of God as the key to knowledge, truth, and freedom. Look at John 8, 31 through 32. The scripture says here, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know. See it? Ye shall know. If you continue in my word, then you're my disciples indeed, and ye shall know, number one, the truth, Number two, and the truth, number three, shall make you free. Freedom, truth, and knowledge come from where? Comes from the words, comes from the scriptures, if you continue in my word. Listen, Christians raise the Bible up as the source of truth. They raise the Bible up as the source of knowledge, the basis of all knowledge. Uh, God said in another place, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may no, the basis of knowledge in a Christian's life is not warm, fuzzy feelings on the back of their neck, or it's not a chill that goes up and down their spine. It's not an emotional reaction to, to something. Listen, it's the Word of God. What saith the Scripture? What saith the Scripture? So the first characteristic of biblical Christianity is really uh, simple, and it's just exalting the Word of God above the word of man. You and I are living in a day and age where Christians are exalting the word of men above the word of God. And, uh, and uh, they're professing to be uh, Christians, and they're professing to demonstrate Christianity to, to the world. And I say not. I say that's, that's, not, that's not right. They ought to repent. Amen? Ought to repent. In the Bible, last thing here on this point is that Christians receive the word of God as the very word of God. Listen to this. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it, here it is now, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, 
the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Listen, dear friend, uh, Christians exalt the word of God above the word of men, and uh, they receive the word of God as the very word of God. Uh, Paul, when he wrote this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he used that phrase two times. When you receive the word of God, which you heard of us, he received it as the word of God. <laughs> well, sure. What, what are you going to? How else are you going to receive it, Paul? Well, some people lower the word of God and they receive the word of men above it. And listen, dear friend, uh, uh, Bible Christians and Bible Christianity, biblical Christianity, receives the word of God uh, and exalts the word of God above the word of men. All right. Uh, the second characteristic is found in uh, Romans chapter eleven. So turn to Romans chapter eleven. The first characteristic of biblical Christianity exalts the word of God above the word of men. Now, look at this next one in Romans chapter 11, verse 13. Let me read to you. For I speak to you Gentiles. This is the Apostle Paul writing and speaking. For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am, now watch it, the Apostle of the Gentiles. I magnify mine office. The second characteristic of biblical Christianity is simply this. Biblical Christianity recognizes Paul's authority or recognizes Paul's primacy, if we could use that word. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, in other words, there was a leading apostle of Christianity. For I speak to you Gentiles, and as much as I am not an apostle, Paul didn't say. He didn't say, I'm an apostle like uh, everybody else. He didn't say, I'm an apostle of the Gentiles like uh, James or like Peter and like or like Matthew or like these other fellows. These are all just apostles with me. No, no. He said, I am the apostle of the Gentiles. So there was a leading apostle in Christianity. There was a primary apostle. There was an apostle singled out from the rest with a special leadership and a special calling. There was an apostle that was sent specifically to the church, and it was Paul. There was an apostle sent to the Gentile world, and it was Paul. You say, well, preacher, uh, what's your point? My point is this. If you're going to profess to be a Christian, then the oldest historical document that we have that reveals what Christians believed is the New Testament Scriptures. And if you're going to profess to be a Christian, the best thing for you to do is to define your Christianity, your beliefs, your convictions, and your, your actions by the Word of God. And it's obvious to see here that Paul the Apostle was the Apostle of the Gentiles. He was, he was the uh, Apostle that was set aside and separated to minister to people like you and me. Amen? Listen, Paul is uh, identified in Romans 15, verse 15 and 16, uh, stronger, he's as uh, identified as the minister of Jesus Christ. Let's watch it. Uh, Romans 15, 15, and 16, the scripture says, Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort, as putting you in mind, because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Listen, Paul the apostle was the single minister that the Lord set aside for the Gentiles. He was the single apostle that the Lord set aside for the Gentiles. You say, well, what about Peter? Well, listen, the Bible talks about Peter, but Peter had a specific calling to go to the Jews. He had a specific calling to go to 
the circumcision. Uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 7 says, But contrarywise, when they saw, and listen, that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me. This is Paul speaking. But contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, the gospel of the circumcision. There's two gospels here, uh, what uh, Paul's writing about. And uh, he's saying the one uh, was me being sent over to the Gentiles, and the other responsibility was Peter being sent over to the Jews. So Peter did have a responsibility. He did have a ministry, but his ministry was not the pivotal ministry of the Apostle Paul in revealing the Lord Jesus Christ to the Gentile world. Uh, the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 2, verse 8, for he that wrought effectually in Peter, to the apostleship of the circumcision, the Jews, the same was mighty in me, this is Paul speaking, toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, now listen, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go to the heathen, and they, Peter, James, and John, they unto the circumcision. Listen, dear friend, the apostle Paul was the apostle that the Lord set aside for the Gentiles and set aside for the church. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, after uh, illustrating a division that existed in the church at Corinth, people were saying, we need to follow Peter. We need to follow Apollos. We need to follow Christ. And they were professing to follow Peter and Apollos and Christ. Paul finalizes his, his instruction to those Corinthians, and he says in 1 Corinthians 4.16, Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me, me, not of us, not of Peter, Silas, and Silvanus, and not the bunch, be ye followers of me. And now he says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, the same thing, be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Paul the Apostle was the, uh, the authoritative uh, speaker and leader of the church. A matter of fact, every, every letter that Paul wrote to an individual was written to Christians. Every letter that's written to individuals, actually, uh, is uh, when the, the Lord dresses the, the, the saints, uh, all the uh, uh, epistles that were addressed to the saints are written by Paul. For example, Romans 1, 1 and 1, 7 says this, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Ephesians 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints, which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ, uh, Jesus, which are at Philippi, Colossians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, all the addre addressing of letters and epistles that were addressed to, to the saints are written by Paul. All the letters that were addressed to churches, to specific churches, are written by, guess who? That's right, they were written by Paul. What am I saying? I'm saying the second characteristic of biblical Christianity is biblical Christianity recognizes Paul's primacy. 
It recognizes that Paul was a unique individual, and he was a unique individual called uh, to serve the Lord in a capacity that only he uh, could call was called to do. And uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, now listen to this, the gospel of Jesus Christ was revealed to Paul himself personally. It was revealed to him. Galatians chapter 1, verse 11, the Bible says, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. Now listen, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. The gospel of our blessed Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, was revealed to the Apostle Paul. Romans chapter 2, verse 16, the Bible says, Paul speaking, In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to, now listen, to my gospel, my gospel. Romans sixteen twenty-five, the scripture says, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to, not our gospel, to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Listen to this. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David, now listen, was raised from the dead according to my gospel. That gospel was given to Paul, revealed to Paul. And listen, dear friend, Jesus Christ died for our sins. You want to know where you got that? Got that from the Lord, from the Lord, the Holy Spirit, and using the Apostle Paul. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. Christ died for our sins. That's Paul the Apostle. Listen, this man Paul had a specific ministry to Gentiles and a specific ministry to the church. There was a primary apostle. There was an authoritative apostle. There was a man that was set aside to minister to the church of Jesus Christ and bring the gospel to the Gentile world, and it was Paul. And biblical Christianity recognizes, uh, recognizes Paul's primacy. Ain't that a blessing? Amen. It surely is. All right, take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 11. And this is where the first usage of the word Christian shows up in the Word of God. And it's a very interesting thing. The third characteristic of biblical Christianity is, first one being exalts the Word of God, second being recognized as Paul's primacy, third characteristic is this, Acts chapter 11, verse 26. And when he had found him, that's when Barnabas had found Paul, he brought them to Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves, Paul and Barnabas, with the church, and taught much people. Now listen, now watch this. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. If somebody asks you, well, what is a Christian anyways? Well, uh, the first thing you want to kind of note in your mind is this verse here, because you can see that the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. A person that's saved might not be a Christian uh, yet. You know, they might, may, might get saved, and at some point in their life after that, they submit and surrender to be a disciple, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ in all things. And that's a disciple. Somebody might not agree with me on that, and I, I know you can, you, you can fuss and fight about a lot of things. But listen, dear friend, what I'm trying to say to you is this. Uh, disciples were called Christians. If you're not a disciple, then you'd be hard-pressed to— uh, be a Christian, dear friend. 
I, I believe that a person, my personal conviction is a person can be saved and just be uh, not not a disciple yet. Amen. Alrighty, uh, eleven twenty six. Uh, listen, the disciples were called Christians first. Now, first in where Antioch, first in Antioch. Hey, listen, they weren't called Christians first in Jerusalem. No, sir. They weren't called Christians first in Caesarea. These are the big cities. These were the centers of of population. They weren't uh, called Christians first in Alexandria. Why not, man? Why not Alexandria? They weren't called Christians first in Rome or Carthage. These were huge cities. Why were they not called Christians first in these cities? Uh, because they just weren't there. That's all. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, I don't know, but I'll tell you one thing. Uh, a Christian recognizes and acknowledges Antioch as the origin and center of Christianity. Antioch is the origin and center of Christianity. And listen, if you're a Bible Christian, you don't look to Jerusalem for the origin and center of Christianity. You don't look to Caesarea for the origin and center of Christianity. You don't look to Alexandria or Carthage or Rome for the origin and center of Christianity. The origin and center of Christianity was Antioch. And let's just take a sidebar here. Uh, we believe the King James Bible is the Word of God. There's always been a Bible version issue from way, 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 way back. In Second Corinthians chapter 2, there were people that were corrupting the Word of God, and there were people that were handling the Word of God until Paul told Timothy to hold fast the form of sound words. So there was, there was stuff going on back then. But now there are two places that, that primary sources of, of Bible, uh, translations. One of them comes from Antioch and Syria and the Aegean area and Asia Minor and Greece, that Aegean area, that's, uh, the Greece and, and Asia Minor that surrounds the Aegean Sea. And the other one comes from Alexandria and Rome. Listen, dear friend, uh, a Bible-believing Christian recognizes and acknowledges Antioch as the origin of, uh, and uh, center of Christianity. The first Bible teachers were from Antioch, Acts chapter 13, 1. Read with me, come on. Acts 13, 1. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas, and now watch this, Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manin, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. There's our, our buddy Paul before he changed, got his name changed. But look at Simeon there. See that? Remember that when you get to Acts 15, because that Simeon in Acts 15 is not Simon Peter. That Simeon in Acts 15 is an Antiochian uh, Bible teacher, and he taught that uh, uh, that the Lord is calling out of the Gentiles a people for his name, and then he's going to come back and rebuild the tabernacle of David. Uh, all right? So listen, the first Bible teachers were from Antioch. The first missionary trip originated from Antioch. Acts chapter 2, 13, verses 2 and 3. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted, uh, fasted and prayed uh, and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. There's the first missionary journey coming out of Antioch. It returns to Antioch and Acts chapter 14, verse 26, the Bible says, thence sailed, uh, And thence sailed to Antioch, from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. 
So in Acts chapter 13, they take off for the mission field. They travel all through chapter 13, all through chapter 14. and verse 26, they go back where? They go back to Rome? No, they didn't start out from Rome. They don't go back to Rome. They go back to Antioch. The apostles and the church sent notification to Antioch of the decision that was made at Jerusalem. Uh, there was a decision. Let's read it. Acts chapter 15, verse 22 through 25. Then pleased it the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barsabbas, and Silas, chief men among the brethren. And they wrote letters by them after this manner. The apostles and elders and brethren send greeting unto the brethren which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying ye must be circumcised and keep the law of Moses, to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Saul. Uh, the point is, listen, uh, Jerusalem sent word to where? Antioch. Sent word to Antioch. The second missionary trip in Acts chapter 15 left from Antioch. The second missionary trip in Acts chapter 18 returned to Antioch. The third missionary trip in Acts chapter 18 verse 23 left from Antioch. Do you want to know out of 56 locations in the New Testament that are on apostolic itineraries, they're marked that these, uh, these guys went here to preach, they went here to preach, they went here to preach, they went here to preach. Out of 56 locations documented in the New Testament, do you want to know what one place is not documented as being on any apostolic itinerary? City of Rome. Rome's not on anyone's itinerary. You say, but Paul went to Rome. Yes, but do you remember how he got there? He got there as a prisoner. And do you want to know what happened when he got to Rome? Paul's ministry was was over. Now, I know that there's uh, there's some scuttlebutt that he left Rome and had a ministry, and I, I'd have to see that, because the last time I see Paul in Acts chapter 28 is that he's in his own hired house, and he can entertain anybody that comes to him, but he cannot go out and preach anywhere. He's, he's a prisoner in his own house. And listen, dear friend, uh, Rome is not on any uh, um, evangelistic itinerary. You say, what, somebody went to Rome? Oh, yeah, somebody did. But who? <laughs> uh, Rome is going to have to get their history outside of the Bible. There is a Christianity now, and there is a characteristic of Christianity that's unbiblical. It's a non-biblical Christianity. Listen, dear friend, God, every word of God is pure. When the Lord left Rome out of the itineraries in Acts chapter uh, 13 through 28, there was a reason for it. And listen, uh, that, whole, that whole thing now is, uh, is peculiar, peculiar for sure. Uh, there's no church of Rome mentioned in the Word of God. Uh, let me read these to you. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, there's a church at Jerusalem. There's a church at Antioch, Acts 13. Romans 16, there's a church in Cancree. Corinthians, there's a church at Corinth. There's a church at Babylon, 1 Peter. There's a church of the Laodiceans, the church of the Thessalonians, church of Ephesus, church in Smyrna, church in Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, church in Philadelphia, church of the Laodiceans. There is no church of Rome in the Bible. Praise not in the book. 
The, the words don't appear in the Word of God. Every word of God is pure. The, the inclusions are inspired and the exclusions are inspired. Every word of God is pure, dear friend. The use of the word churches in the New Testament. There are churches throughout Judea, Galilee, uh, Galilee and Samaria in Acts 9.31. There are churches of Galatia. There are churches of Asia. There are churches of Macedonia. There are churches of Judea. There are churches of Asia. There's no churches of Rome. There are no church of Rome. There's no churches of Rome. And Rome is on nobody's itinerary. You know, Paul the Apostle was hindered to go, uh, from going to the Thessalonians one time, and he said this. Listen to me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once it again. But now watch what Paul says. But Satan hindered us. Hmm. He wrote to the Romans, Romans one time, and he said this. Romans 1, 13. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oft times I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. But now, verse Romans 15, 23, but now having no more place in these parts, and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, uh, the, the scripture says that Paul had a great desire many years to come to go to Rome, and he was hindered. But you want to know what Paul didn't have the confidence to say? He didn't have the confidence to say that Satan hindered him. He only had the confidence to say that about Thessalonians. Uh, you, you say, what are you driving at, preacher? This is what I'm driving at. Uh, biblical Christianity acknowledges Antioch as the center and uh, uh, origin of Christianity. The center of origin of Christianity is Antioch and no place else. The fourth characteristic, take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. The Bible says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Romans 1, 15. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Mark 16, 15, the scripture says, But he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The fourth characteristic of biblical Christianity is that it spreads the word of God. It spreads the word of God. It preaches the word of God. Christianity preached the gospel. Uh, Christian preachers preached the gospel. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He died on Calvary's rugged tree to pay for your sins. And he was buried and came up from the dead three days later. He's alive right now. And he's got all power in heaven and earth. He can save your soul. Isn't that a blessing? Uh, listen, you want to know what the fourth characteristic of biblical Christianity is, as far as I can see, is they spread the word of God. They preach the word of God. They didn't preach the pretended political power or authority of the church. They didn't fight over the church that Christ founded. They didn't uh, preach the gospel of the kingdom. Now, uh, they didn't preach the gospel of the kingdom. They preached the gospel of Christ. Say, you think those are two different gospels, preacher? Well, I think so. They, like my preacher used to say, they, they, they're spelled differently. <laughs> they have different words in them. Uh, so listen, listen, they didn't preach the gospel of political power. No, sir. Uh, the New Testament church is never seen in Scripture ruling with or in camaraderie with a Roman government. The, the church of Jesus Christ is never seen in Scripture in remonstrance or revolution uh, to the Roman government. They're never seen complaining and asking for preferential treatment 
favoritism, rights, and recognition of holidays. The church doesn't do that. Listen, the the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and biblical Christianity preaches the gospel. It doesn't get mixed up in in, uh, temporal uh, squabbles. Paul the Apostle said, and be not entangled with the yoke of bondage. We'll get to that in just a little bit here. But listen, uh, the New Testament church has never seen in Scripture requesting or claiming special treatment, such as tax exemption from the government. New Testament church isn't seen doing that. The New Testament church has never seen in Scripture conquering, subverting, overthrowing, or controlling Roman government. That's not the church. The church has seen preaching the book and telling the... Uh, scripture, multiplying the word of God. The New Testament church has never seen in scripture trying to legislate or gain the support of the Roman government. The New Testament church has never seen in scripture trying to obtain funds from the Roman government to support churches or the spread or propagation of New Testament Christianity. Listen, that's not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity doesn't behave like that. You want to know what biblical Christianity does? Biblical Christianity does this. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. Acts 6.2 Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Acts chapter seven verse uh, 6 verse 7 And the word of God increased and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. They dumped their priesthood and got saved. Amen. Acts chapter 8, verse 14. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto Peter and John, Samaria, receive the word of God. Why? Because people are out there preaching, preaching, spreading the word. Acts 11, 1. And the apostles and brethren that were at Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. Acts 12, 24. Listen, the Bible says, but the word of God grew and multiplied. This is the historical content of uh, Christianity. What do they do? They preach the word. They preach the word. They preach the word. Preach the gospel. They spread the word of God. Acts 13, 5. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They weren't out there fighting with the Roman government, trying to get tax-exempt status, trying to get faith initiatives started so that they could pay for the kids' school. Listen, they weren't messing around with the government like that. That's not biblical Christianity. (laughs) Listen, dear friend, they weren't messing with the Roman government. They were preaching the word. So I say to you now, listen, biblical Christianity spreads the word of God, spreads the word of God. It surely does. Acts chapter 13, 46. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken unto you. But seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. Acts 17, 13. It's just throughout the, the book of Acts. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. Acts chapter 18, verse 11, he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God. Acts 19, 20, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Listen, you want to know what we need in our country? We need a good old-fashioned revival of biblical Christianity. Yes, sir. We need people that exalt the word of God, people who recognize Paul's primacy, people that acknowledge Antioch as the origin and center of Christianity, people that will spread the gospel, spread the word, instead of... uh, these other side things that uh, people get mixed up in and get sidetracked with. Listen, 
Number five, take your Bible and look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, the Bible says, listen, be not, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, listen now, and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Now this passage of Scripture is quoted from the Old Testament, but the, pre the precept and the principle is being laid upon New Testament Christianity, and it's this. Uh, New Testament biblical Christianity practices separation, not syncretism. It practices separation, not syncretism. Syncretism was a philosophy of the the old, the old Greeks, and it was the idea that um, everything needs to come together. And Rome uh, Rome adopted that uh, ideology that that all the gods that all the people worship should just uh, be all in harmony with each other. Listen, dear friend. And they brought all these religions together. Uh, I'm talking pagan Rome. I'm not talking Catholic Rome. Uh, but, uh, but the Roman Catholic system picked up that same idea that it, instead of separating from these cultures and separating from their, their cultural characteristics and their divinities, and they, have, they adopted them and, and uh, uh, amalgamated with them. They, they synthesized and they came together with that stuff. And listen, biblical Christianity practices separation. They separate from the bondage of religious laws and rituals. Now listen to this. Galatians 5.1 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled with the yoke of bondage. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. But now, after that, ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again, listen, to the weak and beggarly elements where unto ye desire again to be in bondage. Ye observe, now listen, ye observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. What Paul, what Paul's saying here, you go back and read uh, Galatians 5, read the whole chapter, read Galatians 4. Uh, 9 through 11, and put those ideas together. Paul is bawling these people out and trying to tell them to stay away from religious ritual, religious laws and rituals. Uh, they, were, they were going back and celebrating some kind of days and months and uh, times. Listen, dear friend, separation from bondage of religious laws and rituals. Uh, biblical Christianity practices separation from worldly endeavors. The Bible says, Romans 12, 2, listen, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The Bible says, no man can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Separation from worldly endeavors and methods, dear friend. Separation from the affairs of this life. 2 Timothy 2.4, the Bible says, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. These are hard, hard, hard things to do, to separate from the affairs of this life 
to separate from worldly methods and endeavors. So difficult. Uh, we're not talking about drinking beer and smoking cigarettes and going around and uh, all that, that, that outside or that outward kind of sin that people have trouble with. That's all wrong. Homosexuality, lesbianism, the whole, sh- the whole shebang, adultery, fornication, all those things are awful and ugly. And most Christians, uh, most Christians, thank God, the Lord helps them to, to steer clear of those. But don't think that just because that's the case in your life, if it is, that, uh, that you really uh, have uh, have achieved any much anything <laughs> um, because why the Lord calls us to separate from unequal yokes, to separate from the bondage of religious laws and rituals, to separate from worldly endeavors, to separate from the affairs of this life, and to separate from these things is a tough and a difficult thing. La- you know, the last thing I want to say on this separation idea is that you're supposed to separate. Uh, we believe as, as independent Bible-believing Baptists that we uh, we separate from uh, our church separates from the state, and I believe in that, don't you? Uh, listen, states rely on the power of force, but the church relies on the power of persuasion. Uh, Paul said, uh, or Agrippa said to Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be uh, a Christian. Listen, we rely on the power of persuasion. Governments have to rely on the power of force. These two aren't compatible. State governments rule and control society. Church leadership is to shepherd and lead society. Listen, dear Fred, these are incompatible. State governments are motivated by self-interest. Our Declaration of Independence says that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter and abolish it and to institute new governments, laying at its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness most likely to affect their safety and happiness. And there's nothing, I'm not, I'm not throwing stones at our uh, Declaration of Independence. I'm just telling you that separation of church and state must be. Uh, states are motivated by self-interest, and the church is motivated by the words of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is more blessed to give than to receive. States and governments are participate in the activity of war. The church is the herald of the gospel of peace. Uh, the Declaration of Independence again says, As free and independent states, they shall have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all the other acts and things which independent states may of right do. So, listen, the states have uh, participate in the activity of war. The church doesn't. Listen, Luke 9.56, For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Now listen, hold on now, just a minute. All I'm telling you is that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, God gave us the gospel and told us to go out and tell people that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's what I'm saying, okay? The state participates in activity of war. You and I don't. The weapons of our warfare, the Bible says, are not carnal, but are spiritual. We fight a spiritual war. And states are limited to geographic geographic areas. The church is not limited to geographic areas. It's to go into all the world. Listen, dear friend, the fifth characteristic of biblical Christianity is biblical Christianity uh, practices separation, not syncretism. Uh, number six, 
is going to be, we're going to start in Acts chapter 13, verse 37 through 39. Acts 13, 37 through 39. The sixth characteristic is simply put right here, but he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Isn't that a blessing? Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, all that believe, all that believe, all that believe are justified from all things from which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. The sixth characteristic of Christianity, biblical Christianity, is that it preaches salvation by faith. Listen, dear friend, listen to me. If you're involved in a church that doesn't preach salvation by grace through faith, it doesn't matter what they call themselves. Jesus warned. He said, listen, many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. They're going to come a time where that, uh, that Christian term may be the most deceptive term, and it may be right now. It might be the most deceptive term on the planet right now to be called a Christian and to call something Christianity. Listen, uh, biblical Christianity preaches salvation by faith. Paul said, and by him all that believe are justified. Not all that believe and are christened, not all that believe and are baptized, not all that have repented and believed and confessed and gotten baptized. No, no, no. no. Don't add things to the book. Don't add to the book, right? Listen, and by him all that believe are justified from all things, which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Romans 3.28, the Bible says, Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Listen to that. What wonderful words. What music to my soul. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Uh, biblical Christianity preaches salvation by faith. The Bible says in Romans 5, 1, Therefore, being justified by faith. You say, preacher, you keep saying this word justified, justified, justified. What does that mean? Well, simply put, it means being brought into right standing before God. It's being brought onto right standing before God. Uh, it entails all kinds of things. But if you can remember that it's being made right with God, now you're on solid ground. Now you're on the solid rock in Christ Jesus. And we get there not by works of righteousness. We get there not by religion. We get there not by good deeds. We get there not by sacrifice. We get there not by flagellation and self-crucifixion and mortification and all that kind of stuff. We don't get there that way, no sir. Therefore, being justified by faith. My wife says it good. I think it's a, a real nugget. And that is, you know what? Anyone can believe. <laughs> Anyone can believe. And I believe she's right. Anyone can believe. Listen, a little boy, seven years old, can hear and believe that Jesus loved him and died on the cross, came out of the grave and is alive and can give him eternal life. A, a, an eight-year-old girl, nine-year-old girl, a kid can believe the gospel. A middle-aged man can believe the gospel. An old lady or an old uh, man can believe the gospel. Anyone can believe the gospel. And God set salvation by faith for you and me. Thank the Lord. For his goodness. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works. Not of works. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Romans eleven six 6 says, And if by grace, then it is no more of works. 
Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Paul's embroiled in trying to explain God's dealing with some Israelites, and, and uh, the, the point is this. If something is by grace, it's by grace. And if it's by works, it's by works. These things don't mix together. Titus chapter 3, verse 4 through 7, the Bible says, But after that, the kindness. Isn't that wonderful? But after that, the kindness and love of God. This is the Apostle Paul. I'd like to just sometime, you know what I'd like to do? Hear a message on how does Paul talk? <laughs> or how should you talk? How should we talk? Listen. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundant, but abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Listen, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Biblical Christianity preaches salvation by faith. And then finally, and I'm done now, take your Bible, look at Acts chapter 8, verse 36 and 38. The scripture says, And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. The seventh characteristic I'm going to talk about, and then this is the last one, is biblical Christianity baptizes believers, not infants. Baptizes believers. This is an adult man, and he heard the gospel, and uh, he said, I want to get baptized. And Philip said, now, wait a minute, hold on just a second. If you want to get baptized, there's some conditions. You got to be an eight-year-old baby, an eight-day-old baby. No, no, uh-uh. You've got to be before your eighth birthday for confirmation. No, 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 that's all religious uh, hogwash. Listen, dear friend, you want to know what he said? If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. There's a whole nation. There are whole nations of people who profess Christianity, who profess to be Christians, dear friend, and they're resting their hope on something that took place when they were an infant, a baby. They were christened, they were baptized, they were sprinkled, and they were declared Christians or declared safe or some kind of, some kind of religious ritual stuff. But listen, dear friend, people are depending that that right there made them Christians. And I'm here to tell you now, biblical Christianity baptizes believers, not infants. Listen, Paul said, if you believe with all your heart, you can be baptized. Acts chapter 9, verse 18 and 19, And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and arose and was baptized. That's Paul the apostle. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was certain days, uh, then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. 
Acts 2.41, listen, then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. They received his word. Listen, these passages of Scripture demonstrate that when people are baptized, now I know that there are different historical contexts here, and there are things going on that I'm not mentioning, but the the one point that it needs to be underlined in this point is that they're all people that heard the word, understood, and believed. They weren't. There are no infants in the Bible baptized. So biblical Christianity baptizes believers, not infants. Acts chapter 19, verse 5, the scripture says, And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Acts 16, 30 and 33, the Bible says, And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, and washed their stripes, and was baptized, he and all his straightway. Listen, Philippian jailer and his household, they got baptized. Say, well, preacher, couldn't there have been some babies in there? Well, it could have been an old lady and an elephant and a lion and a crocodile too, right? Doesn't say that there wasn't. No, I don't think so. You better not read anything in the book. Leave it alone. You want to know what this is? This is just simply this. Biblical Christianity baptizes believers, not infants. Listen, dear friend, my conclusion to this message is, is simply this. Are you a Christian? And do you know what Christianity really is? You know, you're living in a day and age where things have been corrupted and changed and altered. And we're living in a day and age where Christianity, this precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ, has been corrupted. Prayers have been added to uh, for the dead, the sign and image of the cross, veneration of angels, saints, the use of image, all this stuff been added to Christianity to where it's unrecognizable. Listen, you want to have a little quick snapshot of biblical Christianity? What is Bible Christianity? Say, preacher, where are you going to tell, how, how are you going to tell us that? How are you going to answer that question? Simple. It's real simple. We believe the Bible is the Word of God, the King James Bible, and we open it up and we read about the characteristics and the beliefs of New Testament believers. And you know what we find? We find Bible Christianity exalts the Word of God, recognizes the Apostle Paul, acknowledges Antioch as the center of Christianity, spreads the word of God, practices separation, preaches salvation by faith, and baptizes believers. How about you? Are you among those that are Christians? Are you saved? Say, preacher, what's a Christian? Well, I define a Christian as someone who accepts the truth of the completed New Testament through faith in Jesus Christ. You have to believe that Christ died for your sins, was buried and rose again the third day, but he died to pay for your sins. His victory was demonstrated when he came out of the grave. And he lives right now, dear friend. He can save you, and then he can give you the discipline to want to be a disciple of his, want to follow him. The Bible teaches clearly what a Christian is, and I hope that you will take heed to it, my dear friend. In Jesus' name, let's bow our heads and pray. Father, thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for thy word, for thy spirit, for thy promises. Lord, for the blood that you shed on Calvary's cross to pay for mankind's sins. I pray for every listener here, Lord, that you'd please deal with their heart, help them to see 
their need of Jesus Christ, help them to see themselves as they are, undone and lost and sinful. Uh, You said in the Word of God, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Help them to see themselves as sinful. Help them to repent and come to Jesus Christ as a sinner in need of a Savior, Lord. If we'll come to you, you said, Lord, you'd save us. And Father, we ask that one that's nearest hell, help them, Lord, to turn and cry upon Jesus Christ. And you told us in the Word of God, and we rest our faith upon your promises. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, save that soul nearest hell, we ask. And bless our listeners, help them, Lord, to help them to recognize and realize what a biblical Christian is and what biblical Christianity is. Lord, where we have failed you in our own life, help us to repent and get right, Lord, please. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 And and typically I would play a little uh, music sound clip there, but it just didn't feel appropriate appropriate right here this time. Uh, Pastor Barn, I want to thank you for his, that was a Bible study, and uh, I appreciate it. But one of the things you'll notice that a uh, one of the earmarks of biblical Christianity is they, they use the Bible. And Pastor Vern has certainly used the Bible here today. And uh, I'll tell you, I was encouraged just from hearing your message uh, your message today. Well, and, I'm glad. I hope it wasn't too long, Brother Eric. I, I, no. Good thing about the Internet is people can stop and pause and return to it later on and come back to it. And, and uh, typically, we would the, these podcasts run about an hour and a half, sometimes hour and 20 minutes, and we're right on. We're right on target. And I don't think I've ever heard um, Antioch emphasized uh, with so much scripture before. And that was a mm-hmm. blessing, you know, the, the points you brought out about Antioch. But let's go to the other pastors here. Let's, um, uh, Pastor Strobel. Yes. Take it away. A lot of stuff. Okay, man. Yeah, that, that is a good thing about the internet. And, um, and if you want a Bible study, like Brother Eric said, you just got one. And I want to encourage you that some of you are listening. You may have questions or maybe thinking, oh, I don't know if I believe that or not. Um, you can go back. You can listen to the Bible references and then look them up for yourself. And uh, that's that's where you're going to find out what's what. you got to get into the Bible. Amen. And you want to read it regularly so you can see what's in there Amen. and then studying it. And this is a chance for you to do that. And let me just make some uh, comments about the uh, starting with the Antioch being the center of Christianity. And it's, it's so important because, you know, Pastor Varner was mentioning things at the beginning in the introduction about getting um, notes or uh, letters or something about Ash Wednesday and Good Friday messages. And and that is the church not patterning itself after a Christianity that came out of uh, Antioch, but one rather that called itself Christianity and came out of Rome, because that's a pattern that the Roman Catholic Church follows. And so now what you have to go on today is, of course, uh, there are some mainline Protestant churches that want to follow that same pattern. And we have now gotten to the day where we're seeing um, churches that would be considered evangelical churches making those same emphases as well. Uh, emphasizing stuff like Ash Wednesday and, and especially Good Friday. And, of course, you do the math, and this is a whole other subject, uh, Christ was not crucified on Friday. Um, yeah, right. yeah. It doesn't. The math doesn't work. Three days and three nights in the heart of the grave being uh, crucified on Friday and then coming up on Sunday. And, of course, uh, what happens if you follow the Roman Catholic Church is you wind up following uh, the traditions of men 
uh, more and above the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And, of course, while there are some traditions that are okay, according to the Apostle Paul, for example, he talks about in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15, uh, certain traditions are okay. The Bible also clearly warns against traditions because uh, a lot of them are, are not okay. <laughs> and so how do you know which ones are okay and which ones aren't? Well, the ones that wash with the Word of God are okay, and the ones that don't are not. Uh, Jesus said this in Mark chapter 7, in beginning in verse 7. He said, How be it in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Mm, so some yeah. people are actually worshiping God, but they're doing it in vain mm. because they don't have their doctrines correct. Uh, doctrine is important. He went on to say in verse 8, For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God that ye may keep your own tradition. And so if the tradition is in line with the scriptures, then it's okay. If it does not align with the scriptures, then you get rid of it. Even if that means you have to change religions, quote unquote, or churches, or what you believe. Uh, you're gonna, when you get up to the heaven, you're going to want to believe what God believes. Amen. And that's what he's revealed to you in his book. Because that book's going to be opened up at the judgment. Um, Jesus said, the words that I have spoken unto you, he said, they are spirit and they are life. And he said that uh, the word that he spoke also is going to judge him in the last day. So that brings us to the fact that when we talk about biblical Christianity, our final authority in biblical Christianity is, in all matters of faith and practice, the Bible. Amen. And that, uh, that speaks, of course, to Pastor Varner's first point, which is that biblical Christianity exalts the Word of God. And let me just uh, bring out something here. And I don't think he mentioned it. My mind was kind of going a lot of different directions uh, right there at the beginning under his point. I don't think he made mention of this, but um, if so, we'll, we'll, we'll hit it again. <laughs> but, but first off, let me talk about um, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that God hath highly exalted Jesus Christ and given him a name which is above every name. Mm-hmm. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Christ's name is exalted above every name. Not only is the Lord's name exalted above every name, but in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 5, it says, Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever, and blessed be thy glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. So his name is exalted above every name. His name is also exalted above all blessing and praise. Amen. And then in Psalm 138, verse 2, God talks about his word. In Psalm 138, verse 2, he says, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Amen. So with Jesus' name being so highly exalted, God took his word and magnified it even above that. Amen. Because without the word of God, you can name the name of Christ and attach anything you want to his name, and you don't don't even know if you've got the right Jesus. Amen. You don't know if you believe what he believes. And so that's how the Lord exalted it. One one last thing about it is is this. Um, on On this note is when... People sometimes think, well, you guys put too much emphasis on the Bible. Well, you know, what do you put emphasis on? I mean, <laughs> other, than, other than the Bible, you guys are everybody else's opinion or different people's opinions. I'm going to tell, tell you how 
much biblical Christianity emphasize it. The Apostle Paul said in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, he had a prayer request. And he said, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. Amen. He prayed that the, the, the word would, would have free course. He prayed it would be glorified. And matter of fact, in Acts, it was. When the Gentiles found out that um, salvation was coming to them and, um, you know, the Lord is, was going to deal with them as a, a group uh, strongly and, uh, you know, precisely. It says, and when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. That's in Acts 13, verse 48. Amen. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's important to emphasize the scriptures. And then real quick, if I could add one more thing about the... Um, this uh, point of, uh, about baptizing uh, believers. Uh, Bible Christianity, bap- Biblical Christianity baptizes believers and, and not infants. And there's a lot I could say about that, but I just want to emphasize Acts 8.37, which was part of what he uh, read there, Pastor Varner did. And that's such an important verse because that's the verse in the passage that shows you that there was a prerequisite for baptism, and that is that you need to believe. Amen. You believe on Jesus Christ. Thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And I'll give you a little exercise for fun. Uh, go to a website called BibleGateway.com. And on top there will be a search bar. And in that search bar, type in the reference Acts 837. You type it in A-C-T-S space 8 colon 37, just in case you're not sure how to type out a biblical reference. And then next to that, you can select a version to look up. So do that and select up, select, for example, the New International Version and then search. And let's just see what happens. And then do the same thing for the American Standard Version. And then you can do the same thing if you want for the Revised Standard Version. And you could do the same thing for the English Standard Version. You can do it for all of them if you want. But, but you want a fun exercise, do that and, and see what you find. Mm. Or maybe I should say see what you don't find. <laughs> yeah. but, but don't stop at the New International Version. At least do the New International Version and then the American Standard Version. Because... Um, You'll, you'll, I, I think you just got to have this experience for yourself, so I'll leave it at that. Hey, Brother Scott. Yes. What was that uh, verse that you quoted on uh, the name above above everything, then the, the word above the name? Um, the word above the name, one is X, uh, I mean, um, uh, Psalm 138, verse 2. Psalm 138, 2. Thank you so much for that. That was excellent. Yep. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Brother Bear. All right. <clears throat> well, I, uh, I really appreciate the Bible study. That was really uh, clearly set the standards for what biblical Christianity is. And, and um, you know, as we see that there were, in Paul's day, there were a lot of corruptions that were taking place uh, with the, what biblical Christianity was all about. Paul dealt with, with uh, heretics, I guess you could say false teachers throughout uh, his ministry that were going around corrupting uh, his converts and, and those uh, churches that he was writing to. Uh, but uh, the same is, is happening today. And just a couple of things, yeah. you know, sometimes we, you know, people have a misconception of what uh, uh, Christians are supposed to be like. I mean, in Jude, it says that we're supposed to earnestly contend for the faith. You were talking about the premacy of Paul, and uh, you know, for a Bible-believing Christian, Paul is the standard by which we judge all things, because uh, he was the one that God chose to reveal to the church 
what basically church doctrine is. And unfortunately, in, in many churches, many denominations, they uh, will take passages, whether from the Old Testament or whether from the Gospels or, or so forth, and try to apply them and make them doctrine for the church. Mm-hmm. And if Paul does not confirm that or agree with that, then, uh, then they've got wrong doctrine. And you've got a lot of churches, even Baptist churches, that are, are going about and doing that even today. Uh, you know, the Bible says that we're supposed to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And the thing that I always try to point out when that verse comes up is, is yes, it says that there's a right way to divide it. If there's a right way to divide it, that means there's a wrong way that is being divided. And uh, unfortunately... Uh, mm-hmm. People are ignorant to the scriptures, and a lot yeah. of that is is yeah. because <laughs> uh, pastors aren't aren't teaching the word. Uh, one of the things that I've seen that's happened uh, over the years, and even when I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior back in in the mid to late seventies, is that a lot of churches, all they did uh, was to basically use the church as the vehicle for winning people to Christ. And that's not the Bible way of doing it. Uh, the Bible way of doing it is is go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Uh, you know, if you were to take uh, uh, some sort of a concordance or a Bible program and type in the, the words go, go ye, especially in the New Testament, you'd find that there are a whole lot of verses out there that, that tell us to go to the people, not wait for them to come to us. And what's happened is that people are trying to get people to come to the church so they can hear a gospel message. Well, there, and I've heard of them, and I've been in them, where every Sunday morning the people are getting nothing but salvation messages, and they're not getting the Word of God being taught to them as they're supposed to. In Ephesians chapter 4, uh, the, the gift that's given to the church, uh, this uh, uh, the Apostle Paul that's saying this, in verse 11 it says this of, of chapter 4 in Ephesians, it says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And unfortunately, there's a lot of churches out there that that aren't really edifying the body of Christ, and they're susceptible to false doctrine because they don't know what the Bible uh, actually is teaching. Uh, uh, along with amen. that, uh, yeah. the, uh, uh, the the gospel has been changed. Uh, you know, you were talking about going out and so forth, and I agree with that wholeheartedly. But unfortunately, there's people that have are changing the way that, that people, I guess you could say, are utilizing the gospel. What I mean by that, they're, they're saying that, uh, I guess, in a way of not offending people by presenting them the gospel as we are commanded to do, they're using what what is called lifestyle evangelism. And as much as I believe that we ought to live the life of a Christian and demonstrate our Christianity to this world and not be a secret disciple, uh, it's not the sole means by which we are to evangelize the world and waiting for someone to come up and say, why are you so different? If that happens, I think yeah. that's wonderful. I think that's marvelous. That That's a great testimony. 
but that's not the method by which God has uh, uh, directed us as, as Bible-believing Christians to do. We're supposed to go out. And unfortunately, people are trying, by, by utilizing lifestyle evangelism, they are trying to make themselves friendly with the world. They want the world to be friendly to them. And, and so, in essence, they're changing what a biblical Christian is supposed to be. Now, I'm not saying going out there and making people mad, but when you give them the Word of God and you give them the gospel, as a lost person, they're really not going to take too kindly to it. Uh, they're, you know, it's good news. It's good news to this world, but they're not going to see it as such. And people are afraid of presenting the gospel because they're afraid it's going to drive someone away. And that doesn't uh, negate what the command is. It's said to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. And uh, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ wasn't afraid of offending people. And uh, I don't think we should either. Now, I, again, let me be clear. I'm not out there trying to be mean and nasty and, and you know, calling people names or anything else. I'm trying to tell them that God loved them and he died for them and uh, he wants to forgive them and he wants to cleanse them from their sin with the blood of Jesus Christ and uh, tell them as, as with as much love in my heart for a lost soul as I possibly can. But you can't change the method and and the message just because you want people to like you so that they'll listen to you. Uh, we're supposed to preach the gospel. I, I, I really, again, I, I really appreciate the presentation that you made. Uh, you know, I would recommend people, if they're listening to this podcast, go back and listen through it again, because it is clearly laid out, and there's so much scripture that verifies everything that you said, and, and I just appreciate that Bible study. So thank you, Brother Varner. Amen. Thank you for your input there. Thank you, Brother. Amen, Brother Varner. Again, we appreciate you taking the time to join us today, and I know our listeners do too. Well, thank you for inviting me, and I appreciate you, Scott, Steve, Eric, and Matt, you know, sharing your platform here with me. I know, you know, you guys have worked a long time to establish your ministry, and and I just thank you for inviting me to to participate in it. It means a lot. Right now, especially right now, I'm kind of in a transitional uh, phase in my life, and things are kind of uh, difficult. So I Amen. appreciate the opportunity to preach. Amen. 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 Well, we got the uh, musical group started up here, which signals the uh, closing minutes of our podcast. Well, that's cool. Steve usually joins in and sings along in harmony. I don't know why he's not right now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let me make the plea that I made last podcast, if we've got some new listeners, that uh, just be interested in hearing how you uh, found us, uh, whether you did a search online or heard it from somebody. Uh, uh, Drop us a line and let us know uh, how you heard us. We'd really be interested in hearing that, and it'd be a blessing to us. Amen. And for the listener that uh, emailed or or used our contact page on the website at thatsonthebible.com, said they appreciate our podcast it's uh, better than listening to the news amen. and uh we've got the good news so glad, yes, to, glad to join in yep. all right lord willing we will see you again real soon and in the meantime press on
find glory to share. Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon. Many will many will meet their doom. Trumpets will trumpets will surely sound. All of the dead shall rise. Righteous be in the skies. 